Good morning, City Life Church. Good morning, City Lifers and visitors. Welcome to this week's church. Glad that you have joined us. My name is Pedro Reese, and I'm the lead pastor here. If you are here for the first time, or you're still checking us out, like I really implore you to hit that I'm new button below. Uh, we're still going, it's our second week of our in-person service, so we are not as live here in the chat as we would like to. Um, but hit that I'm new button. We want to get to know you. We want to, I want to get a cup of coffee with you. I want to get to know your story. We want to walk down this journey together. The first part of City Life's mission is to find home because we believe that everyone needs to find a home in Christ, right? And then also in a faith community in this city here that is so incredible and loving, but also another, a city like any other can be lonely. And so we want to connect with you. Let us know that you're here and we want to start journeying together. And so this week is a fun week. It's an exciting week because even though last week we preached something else, we preached Ezra and Nehemiah, today is technically the second week of Advent, of Advent 2021. And um, if you're like me, you didn't grow up with this formal Advent patterns, right? Uh, I, I was trying to wrap my brain around, like, did I like really celebrate Advent growing up? And there was definitely a sense of like, hey, let's get ready. Let's pray. This is a special time. But these four weeks before Advent, these four Sundays before Advent, where the global church for centuries has like set aside to be, let's get ready for Christ's coming. Like, let us get ready for what Christmas really means. Let's get ready to receive the birth of our Christ because this is special. This is different. This is what we're going to talk about today. Christmas is an audacious claim, right? Christmas is ludicrous. It's unfathomable. It's unimaginable. It is a big, bold claim to make. And so this week is week two of our Advent series. And before we really dive in on the topic for today, I just want to, like, I want to hone in a little bit more on this. Let us make this year's Advent season really meaningful in the life of our church. Really prepare what it means to receive this audacious claim. Now, Christmas, to me, it's kind of surprising. I get why, right? It's human nature to have another party, to have another thing to market, right? And to make money off of. I very much get that. But to me, it should surprise us. It surprises me that Christmas it really is this marketable. Because Christmas is audacious. It's this huge truth claim. It's like this exclusive truth claim. I, I want to hone in on three claims of what Christmas really says. Claim number one is that God came down and lived among us. Right? That is audacious. That is ludicrous. That not, no one, we claim we have, that there is this God, this uncaused causer, this immaterial spirit, this being that is beyond time and space and logic and like the extent of human reasoning. It's totally holy, which means other. He's so other. And not only does this God exist, 
but he makes himself known to us that he is the God of the Bible, this Yahweh figure who wants us to know him and makes us to know him with the capacity to know him. And so not only did like this claim of Christmas is that God is out there and he exists, but he came this being and he lived with us. Like what? what? That is a big claim right there. Christmas is crazy, y'all. Like let's let's take it out of this tame event and like really realize what it is this year. This claim that God made everything, the creator of everything, the Lord of heavens, the host of hosts, the Lord of angel armies, and he came and lived with us. That right there is enough insanity to last us our whole lives. Our whole lives is trying to understand truly what that claim is. But then we have claim number two that's a little bit more intimate, right? That God, this immaterial being, holy, perfect, awesome being, he became a human and he put on humanity to be like us. So not only did he come but he put on humanity like us. Like, what? Philippians tells us that Jesus humbled himself, even to the point of putting on our nature, our humanity. Like he was fully God and fully man. And he condescends, like that's a big theological word. He steps down, because any step from heaven, from who he is to humanity is a giant, like eternal step down, and he is willing to do that, to come and be amongst us. What other God in the world, what other God that is preached anywhere in the world does that? But this perfect holy being comes, steps down to us, audacious, illogical, we can't even seem to do that for one another. Imagine a perfect, spotless being. Insane. But he like so loved this world. He so cares for us perfectly that he was not willing to save us in any other way other than fully being with us. And so not only did this being exist and he loves us and he came down, but he himself came down exactly like us. Crazy. And then the third claim that we have, like not only is he there and he came, not only did he come, but he came like us. He came as a baby. That's audacious, radical claim number three. That the God of everything came down and became the most vulnerable of us, a baby. Like that's not even just ludicrous that's egregious like that is salacious like that does not make sense he could have come in any way he could have come as a man fully grown he could have come as a conquering hero a military figure a, a politician he could have come only in spirit right and wrecked everything but no he came in the quietest simplest way just like every single one of us comes in here, this vulnerable, 
helpless babe. Like, let, let's just, gosh, let's think about that for a second, man. God came, and not only did he come, not only did he take our form, but he came as this vulnerable baby. And, and the Father put all of his salvation, all of his plans. Remember, Ephesians says that before the foundations of the earth were set, they came up with this plan for good things for us. And he let us care for him. He let us partner with him. That Jesus came and he was hungry and he cried and he was hot and he was cold and he relied on his mother. He relied on his father, Joseph. Like we touched God's plan and we cared for him. He breastfed off of Mary. They fed him. The savior of the universe, the creator of everything had his first words, his first step, his first cold where he had boogers running down his nose, where he like, was eating his own boogers. Think about that, like the creator of everything, Jesus, the Lord of lords, the Christ of everything, came in the most vulnerable way as a baby. And he took his first steps and he had friends and he laughed and he cried and he made others laugh. And he enjoyed life. He was fun, I'm sure. He had brothers and sisters and we knew him and, and everyone around him had access to the savior of the universe. That is audacious. Christmas isn't normal. It is bold and it is loud and it is saying, you know what? Christ came and saved everything. That the center of human history relies on the birth of this baby who is more than just a little baby. Like that is insane. And so let's let this Advent season, like we've been, I've been talking for 10 minutes now, like trying to give room for us to see how audaciously bold Christmas is. We should prepare for this. If you wake up on Sunday morning without having prayed, without having thought about it, without having set up that the savior of the universe, we celebrate his birth on that day then, you're going to miss the depth. You're going to miss what's really going on. And so let us today and for the next two weeks set aside time, not only on Sunday, but and every day during the week to be like, wow, Jesus, you are actually here. You're actually born and placed in a dirty, disgusting manger. And you let us touch you and you got dirty and you bled and you had fun and you enjoyed life and you opened up all of creation to us. That's what Christmas is about. Today, we are specifically looking at what it means for Jesus to be our hope. Next week, we're going to be looking at what it means for Jesus to bring in, to usher in love. And then the following week, the last week before Christmas, we're going to look at joy. But let's pray right now and say like, Lord, this week, open our eyes to what it means that you are our hope, that you, born as this little baby, brought in eternal hope. And so pray with me and let's go forward. Jesus, uh, I thank you for this day and I thank you for whoever may be listening to this like on our online space, Lord. Lord, we gather to know what this Christmas thing is all about. 
Lord, let us grapple with grasp and grapple with the audacious claims of what Christmas really is. We love you and we trust you and Lord, Lord, just lead us in this Advent season. Make this be meaningful and deep for us. Holy Spirit, I invite you into the preaching of your word, into the hearing of your word, into this Advent season. Like, Holy Spirit, we need your power and insight to unlock this greater depth of what Christmas really means to us. We love you and we trust you and we will follow, I will follow your leading anywhere that you take us and this church. We love you. Unlock what Christmas truly means to us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today we are going to be reading a, like a simple but beautiful, lovely story of what something around Jesus' birth connects to hope. Admittedly, this is right after he's born, so we're kind of breaking some Advent rules there, but it's okay. There aren't any real rules. Uh, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 32. And God's Word says this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that, there would, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's start off today by talking a little bit about hope. I think today we need to start having really two main discussions here. And it's what do we think hope is? Like, what comes naturally? What are we taught? What do we buy in without really knowing or without really comparing with what the biblical worldview of hope is? And then, do exactly that. What, is, what does the Bible say hope is? What's the narrative around hope? Hope is so interesting. It's so beautiful. It's such a central biblical theme. And it's also so interesting because... We can't easily tie hope to this. It's, oh, it's this verse. Or, oh, it's only this verse. Or, oh, it mainly is this. Because there's no one Hebrew word that we can say, oh, okay, this is the definition of hope. And there's also, I think intentionally and on purpose, God continues this, there's no one word for hope in the Greek New Testament. And so I think part of that is like God pushing us, you know, it's not just one thing. It's, hope isn't just, okay, here you go, here's this neat definition, and then you're done. You don't need to explore hope anymore. You, you know this and you got this. But no, it's, it's like so much more than that. See, in the Bible, it starts with the Old Testament. It, hope is central throughout all of biblical narrative. In the Old Testament, hope is something that I think is not naturally what we think it is. Hope is this waiting on Yahweh. To do something. It's this expectant waiting. 
that's like rooted in God, like oh, Yahweh. He is good. He is faithful. And so we wait on him. Our hope is that he will do what he plans to do because it'll be perfect. Let's wait until he does that. Like a hope in the Old Testament. I want, there's a lot of verses we could talk about, but I love Psalm 37 verse 9. It says, For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. And you say, he, like one of the reasons why hope is so much bigger than we might assume is because we read this and like the, the English word hope is nowhere to be found here. But this is the picture of biblical hope. Is those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. That's what the Old Testament sets up over and over again. Hope, you only hope, you only hold on to the things that are meaningful, the things that are most important, and what is like most real. And what is more real than, than Yahweh, this Lord? He'll come through. And then the, Old Test, the New Testament takes this, and it does the similar thing, but the most important distinction is that it takes all of this waiting on the Lord, on Yahweh, and it places it firmly, it redefines it firmly in the person of Jesus. Jesus in the New Testament becomes the epicenter of our hope. Everything that you hope in, everything that you long for, everything that you wait on expectantly will be fulfilled if it's real in Christ. He's the hope for all things. Like just a couple of verses that, that teaches this. Matthew 12, 21 says, And in his name the Gentiles will hope for salvation, for life, for eternal life, to know God, to be in relationship with him. First Peter First chapter, verses 3 and 4, we covered this at the end of last year. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Like Jesus becomes this living hope because He came and He lived and we saw His teachings and we saw what He did and we saw His example and we saw Him claim to be God and then we saw Him raised from the dead to never lose again, to never die again. And so we have this living hope because Jesus will never disappoint. He will never fail and He'll never die again. And so why would a Christian or a follower of Christ, a Christian follower of Christ ever lose hope because Jesus will never be defeated again? And now we're just waiting for him to come back and get the final victory that is his. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, when it's talking about people who don't know Christ, who have no hope, it says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you might not grieve as others who have no hope. And it's like, okay, let's not grieve like non-believers because we have hope. We suffer, we go through hardship, we go through everything, but we never lose hope. Because we, our hope is always that God will act. He will do something. And then maybe even more poignant than all of these, Romans fifteen thirteen, It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So I love how it breaks it down there. Like, yeah, byproducts of this hope of putting all of your trust and patience on Jesus, it brings peace, right? It brings joy. It brings believing. 
But this hope is this act of waiting, this choice to wait on the Lord. And so this is like, this isn't a systematic definition of what hope is. But for the sake of us having something to leave here with, to like really grasp, grapple with, I keep getting those two words mixed up today, I don't know why, is that hope is an expectant waiting on the person of God to act. This expectation that He's real, that He can do something, that He will do something, and that it'll always be good. And so hope is an expectant waiting on the person of God to act. Hope supersedes all circumstances and is consumed with holding on until Jesus acts. Hope is rooted in the reality that Jesus is real. And hope is a choice. And then a continuation of choosing that choice. It's like, it's this one thing, right? I believe in Jesus. But then every day after that, it's, Lord, I choose to believe you again. I choose to wait on you. Yeah, I'll choose to hold on. Lord, I have no idea how you're going to make a way in this circumstance. Like, Lord, I really have no idea how you're going to make a way. But I know who you are. I know your faithfulness. And so I'm going to keep on choosing to wait on you. And so this is like the picture of hope that we get. This is what Scripture tells us hope is over and over and over again. And I just want to contrast it really quickly to what comes naturally to us, right? I never want to set up like, oh, this is the secular definition. This is how the world gets it wrong. But this is the, defini- uh, the definition in the dictionary of what hope is. And let's contrast them two really quickly. Merriam-Webster, the dictionary, it says that hope, the first entry to define hope is to want something to happen or be true and think that it could happen or be true. I'll read that again. Hope is to want something to happen or be true and think that it could happen or be true. And I just like hold those two up against one another right now. And I'm like, okay, like I, I understand people who want to reject the biblical understanding. I understand that. I get that. If you don't have faith in Jesus, why would you grasp into that? But let's just see how anchored these two are. Let's just see like what the definition in the dictionary really says and how meaningless it is. Like I, I, for the life of me, I can't understand how hope in this dictionary definition isn't just like, oh, good vibes, you know, positive thinking. Hold on, you know, I mean, just hope, like, just, oh, I can't use the word to define itself. Just like, hold on, right? Just keep on uh, visualizing it, right? Visualize it until it happens. But I'm like, okay, well, number one, that's not anchored in anything. And what happens if someone's greatest hope is bad, evil, or even just selfish? Like this lack of an anchor makes it so that hope without Jesus is just centered on me. It's just centered on what my impulse is. It's centered on what my brain chemistry is doing at the moment. It's like not anchored. It's arbitrary. It's fleeting. It's hard to hold on to. And it also has no moral guidance at all. Because whatever I can hope for, whatever I could want to be coming true, is just whatever I want to be coming true. So I just see how shallow that is. And to me, it makes sense why life without Christ is hopeless. 
without life, without a hope that's meaningful and centered in something real, is just another nice word. Like I, I understand why the Bible says that people without Christ are desperate and numb. And like we talked about in Ephesians, it's like they're not even alive because they don't have this greater thing tying them to something or motivational to like keep on going at it. And there's no moral center. Out of all the religions that speak about Jesus, there is no religion in this world besides atheism, which is not a religion, but a lack of it. No one ever speaks bad about Jesus. No religion. Everyone has this high opinion of Jesus and his teachings. They just don't believe he's God, whereas we do, because he said he was. And so he can't be a good teacher if we say, oh, except for this thing. He's not that good. I'm like, hope anchored in God, anchored in the person of Jesus in the New Testament, opens everything up, makes it mean something. And so then we turn, like, we turn from this and say, okay, well, we want hope to mean something for us today. We want it to speak to us. Like, where in Scripture do we see it? And I want us to turn back into Luke to see this elegantly simple, but beautiful and effective story told by Simeon's hope. I wanted us to look at this story because I think often, and I'm guilty of this too, often we look to, like, the flashiest, biggest, loudest examples in Scripture are like, okay, well, if I look at the moment that hope wins out in the story, then it'll be true for all the circumstances. If I can see it win its ultimate victory, then yeah, okay, then it means something. But today I like felt drawn to the story because most of life isn't lived in the biggest of battles or in the highest of highs. Most of life is lived in the ordinary in what we would call mundane, right? In even what we would call secular, like just the normal monotony of repetition of life. And to me, the story like so captures how beautiful God works through everything, even some of the most ordinary, most normal parts of life. Like this guy was just going to the temple one day and he had a promise and he met the creator of everything. But before, let me not get ahead of myself. Let me read verses 25 to 27. It says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came down into the temple, and when, his parent, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. And we'll pick that up in a second. And so I, I love this story. First of all, whenever there's a one-off character like this in Scripture, you know, the type of character who, as quickly as he comes in, or as quickly as they come in and then they leave, like, look at those people in the stories. Those people are some of my favorites, and they're also some of, I think, the more meaningful people. Because they come in, and they're faithful, or they do what the Lord says, they don't cause a stir, but they're just, like, honest, faithful, and real, and then they leave. And I love how God is like, I cannot tell my story without Simeon in it. Like for, I think if any of us were telling this story, this would be cut out so quickly. But God's like, no, people have to know about Simeon. Like they have to know that he was waiting for Jesus and he saw him. And then I'll, he, he won't be mentioned again because that's all 
that I want to mention about him. But to me, this is so beautiful. It's simple and elegant, but de depth, has depth to it. It's really beautiful. And so what do we know about this man? We, we know his name is Simeon. We know that he is a righteous and devout man, it says. Like he, he was one of the honest ones. He's, he got it. He understood what God was doing. And he had a real relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knew him and spoke to him. And they had a relationship. And also the Holy Spirit gave him a promise. He said, you know what, Simeon, you won't die until you see the king. Until you see the Messiah. You won't taste death. And then what did he do with that? He waited. Because he had this hope in front of him, he waited. The word hope here is nowhere in this story. It's not in this text. But it's like, to me, such a beautiful, simple picture. You know what? God told him something. He believed him. They had a real relationship, and so he waited. He waited with expectation. He wasn't like, oh, well, I mean, the Holy Spirit told me this, but who knows if it will really happen. No. He had this real relationship with the Holy Spirit. And it says here that he went to the temple and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he waited because he knew if God told him, he would see the Christ. And he went through his life, all of his tasks. He went to the temple full of the Spirit. He went to the market full of the Spirit. He just like carried the Spirit wherever he went. And then on this day when he actually saw what he had been waiting for, ugh, it's like all the fulfillment in the world came over him in that moment. All this praise came up. It's like, God, you, you told me this would happen, and it did. What? Like, God, you're so good, and you are so faithful. Like, Simeon, to me, is just this, like, perfect snapshot of what's, like, faith in all areas of our life look like. Like, oh, God told me this would happen. And so I wait on it. And I know it's going to happen. And when it happens, I'm going to praise him. You know why? Because I hoped for this, and he gave it to me. I waited on him, and he gave it to me. So that opens us up to talk about hope in Jesus. Let's talk about hope in Jesus. I'm going a little long, so I'm going to have to condense this. I just looked at my timer, and it's like, okay, I, we're getting antsy. I understand. Let's talk about hope in Jesus to tie this up for this week. Let's, let's finish the story here. Verses 29 to 32. It's at 28, sorry. And he took him up, Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light of revela for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. I like, to me, when hope comes and then it is fulfilled, right? The thing that God said that he would do when we wait and it, then it happens. I look at Simeon and I feel a sense he praised. First thing he did was he took Jesus in his arms and he praised God for his faithfulness. He acknowledged the mission, right? He acknowledged what God told like God, like, this is your plan. This is your beauty. You told me I would see him. Here he is. This is marvelous. And then I just, like, get the sense of completion. Like, the, he said, now 
now, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Like, to me, this takes us back to where we were a couple of weeks ago with Moses. He's like, when he dies and God buries him, it's like, oh, well, what else is there to happen, God? You, now I can die in peace. You told me I would see your Messiah, and now I have. Like, Lord, you are so good. Take me now. And I just love how this, like, sets up in Jesus's little life, right? This was very early on in his life. How like he was already answering people's hopes. Because then Jesus came and he lived this life. He proved that he was good, that he was smart and capable and different. He was holy, perfect, powerful, loving, patient. And he fulfilled everything that the Old Testament said would happen to this Messiah. And so in the life of Jesus, hope shines into the darkness. So it's like, oh, this is what hope is. To wait on Jesus for everything. To have a real relationship with Jesus so that you know what you're waiting for. So you know what's most important. So you know what to live for. And so in the person of Jesus, real, eternal, external hope is found. You see, I'm thinking of a couple of people this morning. Not specific people, but a couple types of people. One, I'm thinking of people who don't know Christ, who have turned their backs on Him, or who say He's not real. And to me, it's no wonder that so much of the world is hopeless. To me, there's nothing that anchors good feelings, good vibes in anything. Because it's all arbitrary. Hope, good things, that's all arbitrary. Whatever you want can be good. You can hope for. And people who don't know Jesus don't have anything eternal or external to ground them, to root goodness in. And so I, I totally can see why the world isn't known as a hopeful place why they can't even define it. I get that. But I'm also thinking of Christians who, who have salvation, right? They have hope for salvation. By all accounts, they will pass on and be with God in heaven. But who don't know this hope, do not know like that life is more than just getting to the end, but how we can hope for good things here, like have this real relationship with the Lord. And so I pray that this Advent season, we're getting really long here, but I pray that this Advent season is this time where we're like, Lord, I want you to be my hope. You came into this earth. You were born and you were spotless and you lived this whole life and you came so vulnerably and so simply and so beautifully. And now I like, I want to put all of my waiting in you. Everything that I wait for, I want to be in you. And so, church, I pray that in this week, before we talk about love next week, think about hope. Think about this expectant waiting that is grounded and rooted in the person of Jesus and say, what do you need a hope for? Or what has God told you will happen and you need to like pick up that flame again? Be like, God, I'll wait for you for this. God, I've waited a long time for this. But if you haven't brought it, I'll continue to hope. I'll continue to wait. Or like, Lord, I'm a believer or even I'm not. But I want you to teach me how to wait. 
I pray that this Advent season is a time of that for you. And so church, next week we'll be back here and we'll talk about love, what the birth of Jesus means for love coming into the world. And so we love you all, grateful for you all. Join us on our MCs. Email me at preese at citylifenj.com. Email the church at info at citylifenj.com. We want to connect with you. We want to get to know you. Um, we want to be a home for all of us, especially this Christmas season. So we love you all. We'll see you very soon and um, have a great week. Bye.